From beach towels to tea towels, and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. This is the Dean Mackin Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Indeed it is, and thank you for joining us. If you're on holidays, you can get on the online chat and make me insanely jealous and tell me where you are. You can give us a call if you want. We'll find room. We quite often do. Uh, or you can just sit back, relax, and let us do all the work here at TNT while you get about your business on holidays and we get about our business, which is keeping you informed. Uh, we're going to be talking imminently to Gemma Cooper. Uh, I've got a couple of terrific, three, in fact, uh, terrific guests this hour. Christian Walmer, he's the author of over... 20 books, he's a public speaker, and he's a driverless car sceptic, as I'm guessing I may be, you argue how safe could that be, but having said that, after seeing so many of the you know human drivers we've got on the road, you argue how much worse could they be than some. So again, we'll find out, but he does, he's right across that and uh, written a terrific article in, in the uh, that I've got in the Guardian uh, that I'm going to draw attention to. Dr. Alan Moran, he is the principal of Regulation Economics, a noted economist and a public policy expert. We'll be chatting with him as well about some uh, propaganda fabrication by the CSIRO. Gee, what a surprise there. And of course, uh, Craig Kelly will be joining us a little bit later as well, as will you in our online chat. Kevin writes, Dean, I believe that most of us think that everything's okay. Until the lights go out, the fuel shortages happen and the supermarkets close. They are all asleep at the wheel until it actually happens to them. And that's why I hate that America, that ourselves have these massive debt ceilings, if you will, and we're allowed to borrow and borrow and borrow. And why wouldn't we? Because we're putting literally our entire nations on the line. And when we stop making those payments, and that day will come, unfortunately, unless we wake up dramatically and quickly, and uh, wow, those they'll own the lot. They'll quite simply own the lot. That's what this whole game is about. That's what all the nonsense, all the distractions are. And certainly uh, where we used to talk about millions, we're now talking about billions. Uh, countries happy being in trillions of dollars worth of debt. And I just wonder if, if people understand how much that is. And I know that, you know, it's a thousand, you know, it's a thousand times a thousand times a thousand. I know that you you know, it's a, what is it? Uh, a thousand million and then you add, times it by a thousand again, you know, and then it's just ridiculous. And here we are with these giant numbers, so many zeros that people don't even get how big it is. If you had that much cash, it would take up land so big, you just wouldn't. There are graphics online that you can check out that do show what a billion dollars looks like. Forget alone 1,000 times that a trillion dollars. That's 1,000 million dollars. That's one billion. And we owe 1,000 of those and probably then some America. Wow, you don't even want to get me started on their debt. And how do they pay that? It's even higher per capita. I do realize that their population is, you know, more than 10 times. In fact, probably 12, 14, 15 times bigger than ours. But their debt is bigger than that in per capita relation. It's Absolutely horrific, but what do we do? Now, the new Brady Bunch, when I say the Brady Bunch, I'm not talking about, you know, Alice and Sam, the butcher. I'm not talking about the, the kids. No, I'm talking about Tom Brady. Tom Brady is an NFL superhero. This is a guy that's had seven Super Bowl wins. Uh, you know, he was with the New England Patriots. I mean, a guy who is a good-looking fella. He's a good-looking fella. He is still just a legend at the age of 46, and not just a household name, but one of the most visible 
faces. I mean, if you were going to talk about, you know, if you could pick your genes, you'd pick every gene that Tom Brady's got. Most of us, I certainly would. He's just absolutely phenomenal. And following in his footsteps, and they are putting it as, you know, jo you know, uh, Novak Djokovic versus Brady. It's not really versus. I reckon they're playing pretty much on the same team, reading from the same hymn book. There's uh, jo sorry, Novak, age 36. Now, his tennis career, he started it in 2003. He's been playing since he was 16. He's won 24 major titles, 10 of them Australian Open, three the French Open and seven Wimbledons. And he's won the US Open, you know, four times, a guy who refused steadfastly to get vaccinated, who didn't play on it. He simply said it was his choice. He could have uh, blown it up to be something bigger. Maybe some of us wished he had, but he's such a cool customer. The way he played it, I think, was perfection. The way he played it down, that he didn't make a big deal about it and just advocated, I'm just a guy who's advocating for himself and his family, and I think I should have that choice. And whether I'm a high-profile, world-class, in fact, the best in the world tennis player, or just Joe Blow on the street. Everybody has that right. And he played it that way instead, not like I am Novak, you know, Djokovic, and I'm doing all of this. He absolutely just uh, played it the perfect way, a true gentleman and a scholar, and somebody I think that we are very much enamored by his sporting prowess, the fact that he's won against much younger players and he's had injuries. At the time, some people would argue maybe he has an advantage for having not been, I would agree, uh, not being vaccinated. But uh, certainly he was a champion long before 2020 rolled around. He was just a very smart operator, somebody who, again, could have gone to one of many doctors who would be fans of his, possibly friends of his, and said, can you just, you know, give me a saline solution or just squirt it down the sink and tick off the, the box that says I've been vaccinated. And wow, I, I wonder how many people, how many high profile people did exactly that. I guarantee there are probably tens of thousands of people in the media, in politics, who did just that. He could have done that easily. And for those who weren't going to play along, he could have just paid them. But no, he didn't do any of that. He said, I didn't get vaccinated. He was quite proud. He did all the right things. And there was Australia who rained down on him, didn't want him to play here, despite the fact that he actually didn't break any rule at all and had a natural immunity within the allotted time frame that would have allowed him to play here, but they wanted to make it political. He uh, kind of got back at them when they locked him up in a hotel that was housing some uh, asylum seekers here and just the appalling conditions that then became apparent to the Australian public. And again, some more egg on the face and just showing the Australian politicians uh, just how petty and small they were and just how dead set they were to absolutely hammer anybody that was going to question and certainly uh, raise awareness of their counter narrative to common sense. It's just really, really horrific, is it not? Now, if you've missed your favourite episode here at TNT Radio, now that could be a video or an audio episode, then you can listen or watch back whenever you want and wherever you want. Just visit the episodes page on the TNT Radio website. We're on all of the major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, Podbean, iHeart, and TuneIn. So now there's absolutely no reason to miss out on anything here at TNT Radio. Getting straight to the facts. Enough with the lies. We need facts. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
Yes, and uh, they're very busy in the online chat. There is no holiday in the online chat. They're busy. Uh, River writes, genocide by any other name. I would typically agree. And uh, certainly uh, for those of you who think, wow, I'm glad I didn't get vaccinated. But, you know, for those uh, people I know who did that are still okay, that's great. I, I, I hope and I pray that that is the case. Although my uh, I'm a little bit more pessimistic than that. I think anybody that had it, is going to have hard times ahead. Uh, those who uh, who do the the math for life expectancy, especially those in life insurance companies, uh, are seeing numbers that are frightening them. Not just because they're not going to make any money. In fact, they're going to lose a fortune, but because of what it means possibly for humanity moving forward. And we're still seeing people keeling over for a, you know uh, unexpected reasons. People who have died suddenly. A word that Google must absolutely hate. It must be one of the highest uh, search terms on the internet. But uh, these people online, they know what's going on. You can't pull the wool over their eyes. And yeah, certainly River uh, Novak is one of the, I think he is the greatest tennis player of our time. One of the greatest uh, co-commentators of my time is the wonderful Gemma Cooper. Hey, Gemma, how are you going? That's very well, Dean. And it's really interesting hearing you talk there. You know, I mean, I, I admire Djokovic in, in, in immensely. I just think he's an incredible man. I'm not a massive tennis fan particularly, but his stance, and you're quite right, the way he handled it. But what was interesting is you saying about, you know, if people had it and they were kind of okay. And I just recount a, a kind of personal anecdote because this is how you kind of win the hearts and minds argument when you've got an actual personal story. And that's that um, I know somebody very well, a good friend of mine, who had three three of these things. And um, <clears throat> we were talking about another friend that we knew, which I've talked about on TNT, a really rambunctious character that we went to school with, who's now in a wheelchair because of, of his decision to have three of these experimental injections. And we were talking about this person and um, my friend said, oh yeah, but you know, he, he he was such a party animal and, you know, he's lived a really unhealthy lifestyle. You don't, you don't know that it was the, the injections that landed him in a wheelchair. And I was like, well, he thinks it's the injections that's landed him in the wheelchair. Yeah. It's pretty obvious he's got something really, really wrong with his central nervous system. And I said, you know, the amount of people we know from our youth that partied hard, the entire population of North Somerset Harbour that we know should be in a wheelchair <laughs> by, by that logic. And she went a bit quiet and she have three um she runs a business she wanted to travel all the usual kind of coercive control methods you know not because she thought there was a deadly virus because she thought she was going to die but she was staunchly saying oh you know it's probably something else with him it's probably something else anyway i heard a little rumor that you know that my friend has now had to go to the doctor several times um i don't know what's wrong i don't want to pry but i'm hoping amongst hope i really hope it's nothing to do with the three experimental injections that she had to take you know i hope it isn't but something in my gut is telling me this might not be great you know and and i think she was defending that her side of the story so much you know oh you know it's something else with him it's something else it's got to be something else because i think she was worried she was worried she maybe knew something was wrong with her after three of these things and now i'm hearing she's having to go to the doctor my friend never goes to the doctor well, never i mean so I'm, I'm really hoping the new year kicks off on a good note for her and I can understand why these people are not going to admit to themselves that it could be that because it would be horrific to think and then live in fear for the rest of your life thinking I may have some sort of adverse event because I made a decision that sub, you know, subconsciously I know is wrong. I mean, the numbers are out there. I mean, anybody can see it now. There is no hiding from it. It doesn't matter what your news source is. These anomalous events and the numbers are so disproportionate from what we have historically come to know as being, you know, baseline that uh, I don't think anybody without who doesn't have their head well and truly entrenched in the sand 
can, um, you know, turn away from this. Now, one thing I'd like to plea, make a plea for, and particularly with males, because we are dreadful when it comes to uh, ailments, especially ones that could be chronic. Oh, she'll be right, mate. You know, that, that's Australia. She'll be right. I've got a bit of a pain in my chest. It'll go away. You know, it's probably, it says probably that. And there are so many. I mean, I've got a, a very good friend uh, of my wife who ever since, and we know 1,000% it was the jab because within seconds of getting the jab, her lips began to tingle and within uh, that spread through her body now from her nose to her knees, she is literally numb, um, you know, and, yeah, all parts, and, yeah, she's elaborated on that to some extent, so it's not good for her marriage. Now, her husband uh, had had the jab, only, only the two. Now, fortunately, as a result of what happened to her, she abstained from having both her children who would have been vaccinated, vaccinated. So that was a minor win. But the husband, who's very quiet, a very quiet, very nice, very nice fellow, he's a handyman. He was over here painting some walls for us. And you know me, I'm not backwards and coming forwards. And I, I brought the subject up, um, asking how his wife was and told him of, you know, some of the interviews that I've done, some of the information and some of the friends that I have that are ha having adverse events. And he candidly tells me, and he hadn't told anybody else that he was getting pains down the back, finds it hard to lift his left arm and gets chest pains quite often. He said, I'm actually having one now as we speak. And again, I said, have you been to the doctor? What was his answer? No, mate, I'll be right. So this is what we're dealing with in with men uh, and some women, but certainly we all know men are worse when it comes to that. Women are a bit smarter than us. They tend to go the, to the doctor when they detect something might be amiss. But guys, if you're out there or if you know any guys or gals out there, I would please implore them, have that conversation with them. And um, if they are having a problem, get them to go and have it looked into because we can't have people just ignoring this situation. Except, you know, the risk is you, he'll go to the doctor and the doctor will say, no, you are, you're right, mate, you're right, mate, it's not the vaccine, you're right. You know, that's that's the problem you face. You might decide to take to tackle it and go and see your GP. I mean, the, the friend of mine from school who's in a wheelchair has been to see several specialist consultants. He's in and out of hospital every other week, tests for this, tests for that. And I said to my friend, I said, have they admitted it's fax damage, even though you know it and you're telling them? He said, no, they won't. They wow. won't. That's the problem, isn't it? And go to your GP, your GP. It depends if your GP's, you know, got their head screwed on and the veil lifted and they see the world properly and they've got a conscience. That's the problem. That's the that's the issue. That's the nub of it. Because as soon as they admit it, they got to pay compensations. Nobody wants nobody wants to go down that road. Yeah, they do. And it would be lovely to think that that compens compensation, should it ever come, if it was to come and for the very few people or small percentages that it does come for, would be paid by these pharmaceutical companies. And whilst they did have, uh, you know, ironclad contracts, the simple fact is that was based on them telling the truth. And I would imagine that any kind of falsified data, and we know of plenty of it, plenty of it that pre-existed vaccines uh, or the vaccine rollout about the vaccines um, absolutely should have been disclosed. And as a result, I would argue that that should absolutely nullify any kind of legal agreement that they have. You know, some people making claims in the next couple of years, we're going to see some major pharmaceutical companies be absolutely worthless. I would hope that is the case, but have a look at all the people who were complicit with them. You would need to bring all of them down at the same time. And they are in the infesting, I will use the word, the positions that are required to take down these companies. So will it happen? I, I hope it does, but um, I'm not going to hold my breath.
Well, just before I get to the story, because we're fast running out of time, but I mean, this is a massive issue. And also we have got this landmark case here in the UK, which is building, you know, the, the two case studies taking AstraZeneca to court under the UK Consumer Protection Act, which is what they're saying is the product wasn't fit for purpose. And that's how they're going to try and go with this. And there is, there is, they have got enough evidence, they think, to bring this case. And should that happen, they've bypassed the government's compensation scheme. They're going to sue the pharmaceutical direct. Uh, and that will open the floodgates for the 80 people waiting in the wings who are also going to try and do this. That's 80 million. They stand to get a million each. Um, but then you open the floodgates for the thousands and thousands and thousands of others. And then, yeah, that could take them down. It absolutely could. I don't even know if we've got time for the story I was going to bring. Um, it, we can try, but I know we've got another guest waiting. Up to you. You're the host. Um, you're the host. Yeah, we'll, we'll probably leave it till tomorrow if, if you can, because we've got a couple of guests waiting and uh, time is fleeing. But um, I, I, I love what the points that you brought up. I thought that was very pertinent. Uh, certainly things that we need to bring to the fore coming into the new year. And let's hope that we get some results on that on a big scale. Gemma Cooper, thank you for your time. Of course, uh, I'll be joining you again tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Dean. Back at TNT Radio after this. TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. The double standard is out there. It's so obvious. It's so frustrating. Eric Holder gets held in contempt of Congress for defying a congressional subpoena. Nothing happens. Obama's DOJ didn't pursue it. Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro defy a congressional subpoena. Joe Biden's DOJ criminally prosecutes them. Criminally prosecutes them for defying a congressional subpoena. And now we've got congressional subpoenas of Hunter Biden and James Biden, the resident's brother. And guess what? Nothing's going to be done by Merrick Garland, Barack Obama, Joe Biden's DOJ. That's right. I said Barack Obama. Obama's the shadow president. He's not the one pulling the strings. He wasn't pulling the strings in his own administration. You know, Valerie Jarrett was his minder. Where is the Iranian-born Valerie Jarrett these days? Haven't seen or heard much of her. It's because the Democrats are smart. Timothy Shea on today's News Talk TNT Radio. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk the human mind is like a computer, no matter how efficient it may be. Its reliability is only as great as the information fed into it. That's a campaign promise! Tell us the truth. Tell us the truth. We mandate that the truth be told. You're hearing it. TNT. And welcome back to the program. My next guest is Christian Walmar. Now, the author of Wait For It, 20 books, uh, mostly on transport. He's a public speaker. He's a driverless car skeptic. And why wouldn't you be? Because it is our safety that is at risk when these things are released upon us. Uh, he's got a podcast. It's called Calling All Stations and certainly uh, raising the alert when it comes to these driverless cars that could be with us as soon as in the UK 2026. G'day and welcome to the program, Christian. G'day. 
How are you, mate? Now, 2026, wow, that's only, well, two years and a few days away before we get to that year. That is the uh, expected day or date or year where these self-driving cars could be thrust upon us. We'll be driving at hurtling towards us at high speeds on motorways and freeways when, when, when we have those that we love in our in our car with us. And it is rather frightening if you think about it in those terms. Uh, no, rest easy, Dean. Uh, that ain't going to happen. Um, I've been writing about these cars for nearly a decade. And uh, the funny thing is that they're always two or three years away. And there's always politicians uh, who get up and say, oh, we're going to have these, uh, this wonderful new technology. It's going to save lives. It's going to enable your, your dementing grandmother to go to, to hospital without having to uh, get somebody to drive her, all this stuff. And you know what? None of it has happened. All we've got is a few robo-taxis in a few American cities, and there's been great problems with them. Uh, and uh, I can't see this technology, in fact, ever, I mean, it's difficult to say that, but in fact, ever really taking over in the way that politicians have been promising for years. It's all very interesting, even if you have a look at the Hollywood uh, take on driverless cars. Uh, I've seen many a, a sci-fi movie where there is a driverless car and that scene typically doesn't end well. Now, you could argue we've got some horrific drivers on the road, and some people would argue, how could a computer possibly be worse than some of the people we've seen driving? And with the uh, uh, rise of the dash cam, boy, haven't we seen some dreadful footage. But so, some of the worst footage I've ever seen has been cars such as uh, Tesla's while they're being trialled, and they just drive straight into objects that no human would possibly ever uh, do without some sort of mechanical failure. They just haven't seen the object. Well, that's uh, the problem, Dean, actually, which is that you can't have a half driverless car. And to some extent, that's what Tesla is at the moment. I mean, Elon Musk promises you know, full self-driving or autopilot, he calls uh, these driver aids. And people then start to do what our transport secretary said they, they will be able to do quite soon, which is to take their eyes off the road and to allow the car to drive itself. But the problem is you have to still be alert uh, unless this car is absolutely fully capable of dealing with every possible situation. You know, all the cyclists coming across, the pedestrians, the weather, uh, you know, uh, big trucks kind of turning into your path, all that sort of stuff has to be dealt with by the computer. Otherwise, you have to stay alert. And the problem is training people to uh, be alert uh, while still allowing the car to do all these things and yet ready to take over is going to be very difficult. There is no solution to the problem that we can't be half driverless. You either have to have the car totally in control or the human in control, but you can't have the half and half situation. Mate, now, some people are saying that it's a big e economic uh, opportunity for Britain. Uh, I would argue it could be a big opportunity for uh, for panel beaters, for those working in the hospitals, because I, I dare say this thing could go pear-shaped. You brought up a terrific counter-argument for those who would say, hey, but we've had 
autopilot in commercial aircraft for years. But I mean, there's really, a, 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 yeah, with the exception of the odd uh, flock of birds, for example, there's not much random things, uh, or there aren't that many random things to contend with up in the air. But as you said, dogs, children, vandals, weather conditions, oil on the road, that I would suggest that uh, they probably couldn't tell at all. And whether the, the car has a feel as you would as a driver for that, I don't know. But mate, I, I hope this thing is continually put back and back and not let's just go back to basics i don't know about you but christian but i love driving i like getting behind the wheel well uh you know i'm not a great fan of driving in urban areas but you know when i uh, go on holiday in italy and drive around the roads there i even though i'm a hardened cyclist i uh, enormously enjoy it it's a very good point you don't really uh, want it uh, a uh the computer to drive your car at those points of Time. But you raise an interesting uh, uh, issue there, which I think is the real killer point about driverless cars, which is that if you stand in front of a driverless car, it can't run you over. Right? Absolutely, it has to be taught that you don't run people over. That's a very basic kind of fact. And so uh, if people want to cause uh, mischief or indeed just cause a traffic jam, all they have to do is stand in front of a, a driverless car and it can't move. And indeed, in San Francisco, some pranksters put cones on top of their cars, which actually stop them uh, from running. So there's all sorts of issues like that. And, and then my other, one of my other favorites is what happens when two drivers car meet down a narrow country road? You know, how do you sort out who is going to reverse? Uh, you know, who is going to uh, break first? Because like, if there's two drivers cars arguing with each other, they'll both say they have priorities, so they'll be stuck forever. And there's a million situations like that. So for our transport secretary to get up and say, oh, this will be a great opportunity for people with disabilities who can't drive cars and they'll be able to be taken around uh, by these uh, autonomous vehicles within 2026. Don't be fooled. You know, it's very funny. I looked at the comments on some of the newspapers uh, after this uh, appeared uh, yesterday. And they were nearly universally sceptical in the way that I am. And that's why, uh, you know, I wrote my book, Driverless Cars on a Road to Nowhere, because I still believe they are on a road to nowhere. I, I, I would love for everyone to get a copy of that book. And I'll ask you in a second to let people know where they can get a copy of that. But the other thing comes down and you've got more skin in the game than most as a cyclist. When that car, you know, is hurtling down the road, something happens. There's, let's say, a small child or a dog runs out in the road. There's a cyclist, and you've got to hit one of them. How does a car make make that decision in real time? I mean, what's the right decision? What's the wrong decision? It doesn't have a conscience, for example. So it'll be very interesting to see how it deals with dilemmas such as that. Well, you'd have to train it, and you'd train it through uh, experience by uh getting lots and lots of these cars to have that sort of experience and then uh setting the software in a way that would resolve that issue but you know that's one of the fundamental problems because actually what happened in san francisco where uh cruise who is uh, the big second biggest player in this business owned by general motors have withdrawn all their cars because one of their driverless cars made this actual mistake because it was uh, there was a woman who was hit by a conventional car and fell in the path of this driverless car, which instead of stopping, had been trained to pull to the side. And so it continued pulling to the side, even though that involved running over the woman. 
Wow. And uh, she was therefore received greater injuries than she had from the first collision. And that's precisely the problem. You have to train these cars for every possible eventuality. And clearly, crews, despite spending tens of billions of dollars on this technology, had not trained its car properly and has now withdrawn all their cars from across America. Well, Christian, we've raised together some terrific points. I would imagine there are many, many more in your book. And just quickly, if you could tell people where they could get a hold of that. Driver's cars on a road to nowhere. Just uh, email me via my website, christian.walmart. Uh, Christian Walmart? Uh, and uh, Christian Walmart is my, uh, my uh, website, and you can get it via me. Mate, I would absolutely encourage everybody to do that. Give themselves a, that for a New Year's present, if you will. Christian Walmart, thank you for joining us here at TNT today. Pleasure. Everybody stick around. Coming up after the break, Dr. Alan Moran here at TNT Radio. We're ready. We're ready. We're ready. News. News. The news is our business, and we never close. Never close. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a quick look at your TNT headlines. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has sparked outrage after he was quoted by local media calling for the voluntary migration of Palestinians from Gaza. The war of words between Turkey and Israel is heating up after the Turkish president compared Benjamin Netanyahu to Adolf Hitler. And Japan has agreed to start sending Patriot missiles to the US to help restock Washington's arsenal, which has been depleted by continued shipments to Ukraine. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab or Getter? Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. And welcome back to the program. Dilemmas, dilemmas, dilemmas when it comes to driverless cars. Chris writes in the online chat, how would a driverless car perform in Australia when a half-ton eastern grey kangaroo pops out from the bush in front of you at 100 plus kilometres an hour? That's a very good question. And I've got a bunch of good questions and even better answers coming from my next guest, Dr. Alan Moran. He's the Principal of Regulation Economics. Uh, he is also a noted economist and a public policy expert. Today, we're going to be talking about fabrication of, uh, of certain uh, climate cons by people and places such as the CSIRO. And Dr. Alan Moran, welcome to the program. Hi, Dean. It's good to be here. Mate, they, they don't stop, do they? I went to watch, uh, I took my son to watch a new DC comic movie, Aquaman, and they even had to ruin that by telling us that we're ruining the planet by bringing all sorts of uh, fanciful ideas into the movie, and they just are relentless with their misinformation. Oh, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? The basically, it's, it seems to me obligatory to give this sort of uh heads all the way through, yep. uh, and nobody bothers checking the science, and nobody bothers to try, try and check the data and you know when they do um they're usually uh, financed by government agencies and as you mentioned there's a, a couple we saw just before christmas from one from the csiro and one from the uh, the regulator energy market regulator called aemo um both of which or, or at least the csiro started off by trying to estimate what the costs or i said they've, they've done this several times in the past and they were updating them and they always find uh, that the, the the cheapest possible form of power is renewable energy, wind and solar. Um, they've been criticised in the past because they people said, "Oh, well, you didn't include the the add-on costs of storage and the batteries and the, the the transmission that's needed for it." 
this time they say they've included that and voila it's still the cheapest form of power and yet and the government is, thinks that's that's fantastic good news because it's all their christmases came at once and you know they, it justifies all those um, uh, uh, policies that they've got in place to try and get rid of coal um, the, 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 i mean the, the the actual data which csir pulls together though is is total rubbish i mean the, the test of that is if if it were true that the cheapest form of energy was uh, wind and solar then there would be no need for any subsidies and yet we spend uh, consumers and taxpayers altogether in Australia, we spend $10 billion a year uh, supporting wind and solar. And without that support, there would be no wind and solar. And yet, you know, th th there's this fantasy saying, well, wind and solar is cheapest anyway. If it's cheapest anyway, why does the government give it subsidies? It's, it's insanity. But, you know, they, they have these reports and, uh, and uh, that report in particular uh, gave a, a, an added little bonus to the, uh, the Commonwealth by bashing um, uh, nuclear which is said nuclear was was too far too expensive would always be so etc etc which uh, is great news for the labor party because they can use that to castigate the liberals who who are on a bit of a uh, a crusade for uh, for nuclear yeah i'm i'm to castigate the liberals who who are on a bit of a uh, a crusade for uh, for nuclear now, I'm, I'm glad you brought nuclear up because Japan is in the news at the moment and despite the fact that they've had a horrendous nuclear history, whether that be through war or through, uh, you know, being on a tectonic plate and having one of their reactors go underwater. Uh, and here they are still really realising that the way forward for them is a nuclear future and now dropping some of the uh, the, the previous uh, blocks that were in place and they're going to push ahead with it because they know um, better than us despite the fact that they've had uh, a very, and it wasn't unfortunately an unlucky history, wasn't it? It was, uh, you know, and, and certainly we had these nuclear accidents and, and uh, uh, they then cause a, a, a great deal of hysteria in the the only real real one was in Ukraine uh, some time ago, the only really serious one. But even that was, you know, one can, one can carpet the numbers, but it was just a few dozen people who were killed, which is terrible. But yeah. it's, not, it's no different from any other industrial accidents that, that happen around the world. And uh, nuclear is a very fine uh, form of, of, of power and probably for, for, certain, for certain, for an awful lot of countries like Japan, Sweden's another one that's going forward, uh, uh, Finland is another one. France, of course, has always been there and still going forward. For these countries, nuclear is, is far and away the cheapest option. That's probably not the case for Australia, but it may well have a role in Australia and certainly has a role in the future in Australia uh, once uh, we, we can we can envisage that because it's the densest form of power, uh, it will one day be the cheapest form of power. Probably isn't for Australia right now. Still a lot cheaper, miles cheaper than wind and solar. And, and of course, here we are, not just over in the UK, but here in Australia, when it comes to, you know, tectonic movement, earthquakes, etc. you know, we're, we're pretty safe here in the UK doesn't have a massive history of that type of thing either. So, I mean, whether you're, you know, from any of those countries that, that is sound on solid rock, if, if you will, solid ground, I mean, we really should be advocating for this by every possible means. Well, that's true. I mean, it's a very stable continent, Australia. So, you know, a lot of people have said, well, logically, if you're going to put nuclear waste anywhere, you would store it in Australia because it's the, it's the safest place in the world to store it. 
uh, you know, that, that doesn't wash very well with, with green luminaries who tell us that you know, they don't want nuclear anyway. But nonetheless, that, that would be the rational solution. Uh, but, you know, the point is, if you look at the cost of, uh, uh, the, the, you know, the, the dangers of nuclear, you know, cost per life lost or whatever, for, and compare it with coal or, 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 hy- or hydroelectric or anything else, nuclear comes out with, a ve- with one of the cleanest bills of health. Uh, in the world, and we've got a lot of experience on it now. And in fact, the only real disaster was in the Ukraine, uh, Chernobyl, uh, and um, it was a very badly uh, managed plant there. We've had other other probable or other near misses, if you like, in in, in the US and as you say, Japan. Uh, but uh, they, 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 there was no, there weren't any fatalities or direct fatalities as a result of that. Yeah, and I would imagine we've learned a hell of a lot from that. Uh, mistakes that shall never ever be made again. Now, as a myself, a qualified computer programmer, I learned very early on: you put garbage in, you're gonna, you know, garbage data in, you're gonna get garbage data out. So, for those working at the, you know, whether it be the regulator or whether it be places like the CSIRO, surely these people, I mean, and they wouldn't be unintelligent people. They have degrees. You don't get them if you're an idiot. So, quite simply, for them to be coming out with this data that is incorrect, they must realise that the garbage. Uh, for the garbage to be coming out that they are required to do to maintain their positions, they must be putting garbage in. Surely that they must be aware as they're doing it. Well, you'd think so, but they make they keep a pretty strong poker face in, in when they are addressing it. Uh, you know, the, the, the sort of uh, litmus test is, well, in that case, if it is so cheap, why do we subsidise it? Because you wouldn't subsidise anything that's cheap. Or you might say, if it is if it is so cheap, why aren't those countries which are expanding rapidly, like India and like China, why don't they just rely on wind and solar because it is cheapest? And yet, you know, they both both China and India went to the the COP twenty eight, which was in in Dubai in December. Um, they came back and they made sort of all sorts of statements, but in the end, both of them said, or at least India said, you know, we're not going to. We're not going to sacrifice our future for, for, for wind and solar. We're going to continue building coal. Indeed, when India's got about 80 uh, gigawatts of, of coal either planned or in, in operation now, which is something like four times as much as we have. And we're going to, we're, we're supposed to be winding it all down in, uh, under ministerial uh, guidance. Uh, China has got half the world's coal is coal generations in China and 70% of the, of the, of that planned is in China as well. And these are the countries which recognize to go forward, they have to have cheap power and cheap power means, uh, coal basically, but basically coal power supplemented, I guess, by, by nuclear in a lot of cases. But you know, it certainly does not mean wind and wind and solar because that, that, that will never give you cheap power. Another test of it is you look at the penetration of wind and solar in power production, electricity production worldwide. Those with the highest penetration, Denmark, Germany, etc., uh, have got the highest prices. Those with the lo- lowest uh, penetration, which is China and the US and 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 uh, and uh, Indonesia, etc., have got the lowest prices. Uh, it's you know, it, it's the pub test, if you like, and it's dead easy to follow. But yet we have these um, the. Uh, vested interests and and their supporters in in government agencies who are promoting um, wind and solar. Now, speaking about the pub test, I don't think our political system 
would pass the pub test. And I'm a firm believer that what we have is a duopoly, uh, one group pretending to be two opposing groups. Both of those groups, I believe, are hell-bent on getting us into a tremendous amount of debt through this climate fraud. Um, that's what I believe. And as a result, whether we go to the polls, you know, in a, a year and a bit's time, and uh, Peter Dutton, let's say Peter Dutton is still leader of the Liberal Party and they are elected, they are saying that they are advocating for nuclear I would suggest personally that uh, they won't ever push hard enough that that could become a reality. Do you ever see under any circumstance us becoming a nuclear nation here in Australia? Do you think that's uh, in any way likely? I hope it is. Well, I think it probably is in the end. But, you know, that we, we have a very good interregnum power source, which is coal. Yeah. We've got the cheapest coal in the world. It's the cleanest coal in the world. It's on our doorstep. In some places, like in, in, in Victoria, you just dig it up off the ground. The, the cost is whatever it costs to dig it up off the ground. It's, it's not tradable. Even the coal in Queensland and New South Wales is, is very largely non-tradable coal. You, you, don't, you would use coal, which has got a very low, low cost because you dig it up in the ground and put it into the generators. And we, we, have, we have, as a result of it, we had until we, we, we wrecked the system partly already, we have the cheapest power in the world, and we can again if we if we go through coal. I guess one day nuclear is is going to be the the, the fuel of the future. But you know what people actually been saying about nuclear for almost fifty years now. This is the fuel of the future, and and it, it hasn't arrived yet. But you know the the logic is, is behind it. And Alan, I, I love that what you did was you you kept our uh, our eye on the ball. Then when you broke it back to um, when you broke it back to reality, to basics, you can't help but think, why are we even looking into other options when we have the best option available right now and it's going to last us for generations? Mate, thank you for the perspective. Thank you for, for your educated opinion on it. Uh, I pray that all the things that you advocate for come to fruition. And uh, as long as we've got people like you out there keeping it real, I pray that that may one day be the case. Dr. Alan Moran, I thank you for coming on the program at TNT Radio today. Thanks, Dean. Isn't he terrific, everybody? That is Dr. Alan Moran. And when you want the truth, that's who you go to. Some people exactly like him, and there aren't that many out there, people who absolutely advocate for the truth, who aren't on some sort of corporate, high-level, global payroll. Your outcomes, your family's outcome, our future is at the fore when they speak, and we appreciate them very much. As is the case with my next guest, we're going to be talking to Craig Kelly here at TNT Radio. All you have to do is stick around. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. Hello, everyone, and I hope you had a wonderful and Merry Christmas. Hey, did you happen to catch our Vice President Kamala Harris before the holiday speaking on MSNBC about next year's election and what it means? I think all of these issues are important to voters who are going to be going to the polls in November, and, and they will make their decisions, obviously, um, but there are a lot of critical issues at stake. And, you know, every election cycle we talk about this is the most election of our lifetime. Lawrence, this one is. This one is. What? Did she say this is the most important, the most consequential, the most anything? Nope, she did not. You know, every election cycle we talk about this is the most election of our lifetime. Lawrence, this one is. This one is. And this is one of the freedoms she claims is at stake next November. The freedom to just be. The freedom to just be. So the woman who's a heartbeat away from the presidency says this is the most election ever in our lifetime and gives you some cockamamie freedom. I mean, God help us all. 
Thanks for giving me a minute. And don't forget to tune into my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT. I didn't ask to be thrown in the streets with nowhere to go, but I did ask for help, and Covenant House was there for me. One in 10 young adults will experience a form of homelessness this year. For these kids who didn't ask to be put in this unthinkable situation, Covenant House is there, providing hot meals, a safe place to sleep, medical care, and love. They just really genuinely just wanted to help me succeed, and I'm succeeding. To learn more, go to safeplacetosleep.org today. Telling it as it is, this is the Dean Mackin Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, and thanks for sticking around. We're still trying to get a hold of uh, Craig Kelly. We can't, but the good news is we've got Dr. Alan Moran who's going to stick around for a while longer and plenty of things to discuss. And an email report is something that I would absolutely love to uh, chat with Dr. Alan Moran about. Take it away. Yeah, well, I think the other thing that came out before Christmas was because the the uh, integrated system plan, they, they bring that out every year or so. Uh, from AEMA, which is the the uh, utility regulator, uh, these plans have been around. Uh, they, they've been around for a while. They previously were were basically AEMA's giving its educated advice about well, here's here's how the system is going at the moment. There's there's, there's growth here, and there's uh, uh, some capacity going offline here. Uh, here's here's the good investment opportunity. But right now, they, that was switched around when the electricity business. Uh, became captured by environmentalists rather than electrical te- technicians. And AEMO now it just does the, the, the government, the state and federal government's bidding as to how will the system cope with with the wind and solar that we've got planned, and it's 82% uh, is planned to be wind and solar com- compared to zero 10 years ago uh, and, and 26% right today. So how will it do it? And they they come out with these ornate plans about you know we'll build these lines here, we'll build these batteries here, we'll build that that there. Uh, but you know that you know in a sense, and they're 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 on the on the cars as well. They're basically saying, oh, wind and solar is great, and that's why they got their jobs, all of them, because they <laughs> yeah. they went with the catechism. But you know they're also conscious that wind and solar brings us great threats. Uh, it probably doesn't mean a, a nationwide blackout if things go wrong, but there will be blackouts and increasingly so. And, and you know, the, because the, it is intermittent power, you got a coal power station just goes on and on and on. Nuclear power, the wind and solar, well, solar goes off for um, 12 or 18 hours a day. Uh, wind goes on and off as the wind blows. So, you know, you do have this, this precarious nature of power all the time. Uh, so an AMO, you know, makes various guarded statements. Say, oh, you know, we can do all this, but uh, we've got to have all these 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 new lines, new transmission lines in place, these batteries in place, all these other things in operation, uh, and we aren't getting them yet. They're not coming fast enough. So, in other words, they're, they're kind of guarding their backsides, basically saying um, there could be a problem here, but you know, if if there is one, don't say we didn't warn you. Uh, so they are actually somewhat concerned uh, that the that the 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 plans that they're putting forward could really fall in a heap. It's good to see that AEMO is actually uh, you know having a look at what's coming out of their own mouths or their certainly their reports. I, I love that that is the case. And as time goes on, it will be very hard to deny. One word that stuck in my mind was the word investor. And where there are 
uh, no subsidies. You rarely find anyone who wants to invest in in this particular industry. And um, you know whether it's a trucking company, you know, getting on board with electric vehicles and charges. I mean, everywhere you look, there's a twenty million grant here, a, a fifty million dollar grant there that we never hear about. All we are told about is, oh, have a look how everyone's changing to electric. Have a have a look how everybody's adopt adopting this new technology only through money that we have borrowed, that we're paying high rates of interest on and that our kids and grandkids will continue to pay interest on. Is this actually happening at all? Absolutely so. And indeed, uh, it, it starts going the other way because we have a new scheme of the Commonwealth government, which the states, some of the states don't like. Uh, but basically, this new scheme gives a subsidy to gas, to gas generation, because the Commonwealth recognises, wait a minute, we're going so fast uh, on our on our, uh, our you know, journey towards net zero that we, we are in a, a real predicament. It could fall apart. So we want to, we want to have some fast start generation. Well, the states, some of the states are, are, are you know, even more stupid than the Commonwealth. They're basically saying, <laughs> well, you know, no, AMO will sort that out. And AMO is saying, well, we're not even sure we can sort that out. But, but, you know, the irony is that we have made the system so precarious by pumping, by forcing the subsidies, into renewables that the system could collapse uh, and certainly is, is unstable and so then we're putting additional subsidies other subsidies into gas and in the case of victoria they're even get a, given a subsidy into coal which they say when they want to eradicate all coal meanwhile they're subsidizing coal because they know if they don't sub continue subsidizing coal the the the, the competition the, the subsidies to uh renewables have made coal very, very unprofitable and the, the coal will close down. And with that will be some huge investments closing down, including the major aluminium smelter, which is in the state. So basically we have this crazy situation. We subsidize like mad the renewables, which, and then this thing, oh gosh, there's, there's a real problem here. Uh, if they all go offline, we're in real dire straits. Uh, we can see whole industries collapsing and maybe the voters will blame us for that. And so, you know, they are, then subsidizing the alternative to wind and solar, which is coal or, or gas. Now, you did mention blackouts earlier, and only people living in South Australia would have any clue as to what a multi-week blackout feels like, just how absolutely horrific it is. And for those, and I would suggest there was many of them who couldn't get their hands on some sort of uh, petrol or diesel generator, that it would have been catastrophic. Um, you would have met some people that have had to live through that, and I'm guessing the experience was something that most of us could possibly not imagine. Yes, it is. It's, it's a terrible situation. Uh, but I think that the the nationwide or even statewide blackouts uh, aren't likely anytime soon. I mean, they can happen, uh, but the, the the way they can control the system right now by calling on additional supplies, by taking off areas or major major users, uh, it means that there probably won't be those statewide blackouts unless a catastrophe occurs, and that can occur, a catastrophic weather situation or even even if some generators blow up. But basically, they're likely to be uh, segmented and controlled by house. All right. Well, Dr. Alan Moran, I very much appreciate you uh, spending the extra time with us today. Uh, an absolute legend for coming on the program, mate, and your perspective is appreciated more than you might imagine. Thank you, Dr. Alan Moran. Dean. And of course, I'm going to talk immediately because I don't want to waste any time. I don't need to give him an introduction because you all know him very, very well. I think you have a very strong fan and supporter base. Craig Kelly, welcome to the program. Yeah, no, great to be with you. 
Mate, lots going on. There's a new year coming up, 2024. Uh, I just did all my Christmas shopping and I was uh, flashing that cash, mate. I, I had bundles of it and I, I spent it. I didn't do a single tap transaction. I'm quite proud of myself. But, mate, as, as we all do that, they're really going to keep pushing this digital dollar, aren't they? Look, um, there are a few really big um, issues that we have facing the new year. Uh, obviously, one is this digital currency, the push to eliminate cash. And that combined with the digital identity plan, so they can basically track you wherever you ever you go. Uh, as they said, there's no hiding. You combine that, you've got the World Health Organization power grab, where uh, you know they're trying to take over sovereignty if, to create the next pandemic, or the, uh, they can put issues on climate change. Uh, you've got the net zero. Combine all those together, uh, and you know we really have a big battle ahead of us in the new year. I mean, apart from the vaccination, which I think was the whole point, I mean, take that out of the equation and imagine only the lockdowns and the mandates. Um, the good thing about that happening, not that there was anything good but that we can take away from that is people can see how they can tie that in with this digital currency, where if you don't comply, and we do now know all the things they said they could never do that, they did. And when you tie that in with compliance and that compliance, and we've seen people like Justin Trudeau go and cut funds off and the right. bank closures for Nigel Farage and that in the UK, mate, when you get all of that and bundle it together, the level of control they have once they control your purse strings or your pocketbook, mate, we would be absolutely stuffed if we allow it to come to that. If we lived in a perfect world and we had, uh, you know, perfect politicians, it would all be fine. But the reality is we don't. Uh, we live in a world where politicians do things for power. And there's a whole group of people that love, that just have this totalitarian bent that all they want to do is control others. And they think they know best. And these are the people that get involved in politics, that get involved in the bureaucracies. As you said with Trudeau, this was not some backward, you know, um, uh, South American or country with no democratic traditions. This was a country with a British Westminster tradition, a British Westminster parliament that should have had all the protections under the law. And what they did, they had people that went against the government narrative and they cut off access to their bank account. That is the alarm bell that should wake people up, that we've got to rally and we've got to stop this idea of digital identity, stop the central bank currencies, We've got to make sure that cash remains king. Right, subsequent to his uh, to her departure, his sister from another mister, if you will, Jacinda Ardern, uh, down there in New Zealand or our East Island, as I like to say to my Kiwi friends, um, mate, with her gone, he would probably be one of the worst in the world at the moment. And now I'm learning of, and I had to double check it because I thought this can't be real, talking about this, this basic, you know, uh, global income, you know, for all the people in Canada, just sit back, we'll give you a, a basic amount of money. I think it was $2,000 a month Canadian to sit back and do nothing. I mean, if that's not well and truly on the way to destroying a country, I don't know what is. Eddie, look, I, I read that and I thought it was a mistake you wrote it first. In. To just say you give people free money. Now, look, if someone is, is significantly disabled and can't work, um, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, if someone has reached the pension age and has worked all their life, fair enough. But to give it to a fit, healthy young person that otherwise should be contributing to society and working, where are you going to get the wealth creation from in that nation to power those bills? If everyone just has to sit back and gets gets sort of free money from the government, uh, it is is also then the control. As soon as that person submits to taking that free money, they are then back to being a serf of the government of the day. Yeah. It will destroy it socially, culturally, and financially. This plan, and yet the lefties love it. Oh, free money, free money! Isn't it wonderful? 
Mate, and the worst part is, and we've seen it happen through, uh, you know, for our social security system. I mean, they advocate for those who do little to go and have a bunch of kids and, and offer financial incentives who, un unfortunately, not always, certainly not always, but, you know, for the most part, from what I can see, often, I wouldn't say often, I'll just say can, in many cases, produce p other people who are going to get onto that same bandwagon, live off the system, never, never, ever contribute. And it really is uh, contributing to nothing but the downfall of our society guaranteed. It is. It's, it's, again, all about government control. The government wants to control what the population is. I, I read a great article uh, the other day and, and someone was talking about the, you know, the battle throughout history. And it was the battle against feudalism. Then it was against the battle against absolute monarchy. Then it was against socialism, communism and fascism. Well, today it's the same battle. It's the battle against totalitarianism. And that are these globalists that just want total control, that want to control the way everyone runs their lives. And they are no different from the feudalists or the absolute monarchs or the fascists or the socialist regimes of, of the past. And we've got to get the average citizen has got to wake up and realise that we're in this battle against these people and make sure they do not succumb and sign up. Because at the moment, we've got the major parties, the Labor Party, the Liberal Party, the Nationals, the Greens and the Teals, all on the side of the totalitarians. And Craig Kelly, if it wasn't for people such as yourself advocating politically for us, I think we'd be in far more dire straits than we find ourselves. We've run out of time. Craig Kelly, thank you for joining us on the program here at TNT this afternoon. Thanks, Dean. Great to be with you. Everybody, thanks for joining us. I'll be back tomorrow, I think. Is Katie Hopkins coming up next? I don't know. You'll find out. But stick around anyway. She is coming up. I'll catch you tomorrow.